So the reading today is taken from Mark chapter 2, verse 23, to chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Brilliant, Esther, thank you so much. Um, I'm just aware, um, as we began, that we've got a whole bunch of craft stuff here, um, which is on the front row, which is not going to do much good because I can't do it right now because I've got to talk. But um, if you would like to have some puzzles, some craft, I think we've got some... Um, is, is it all explained on the sheets? Liz, Lizzie has um, put something together for us, which relates... Oh, brilliant, Libby, thank you. If you can just sort of help those things get round to those who need them in a, in a vaguely COVID-safe sort of way, that would be wonderful. Um, good. Just have that little hiatus. Why, why as we do that, why don't you just turn to the person... I was going to say the person next to you, if they're sitting close enough to really talk easily, they probably came with you, or at least they, they should have. But if you can just, across the divider without getting closer, just say hello to the, the people sitting closest to you. Just, uh, if you don't, in fact, why don't we just say share your name, even if you think they know it, because that's the best way that we can learn a new name without feeling embarrassed, because we think we should know the name, but we don't know the name. So let's all say names. Okay. You can uh, share maybe perhaps how you feel about the, uh, the football on Friday night. Don't know if we have any uh, divided families that we have over here. We've got the Nolans, Paul and Lynn's there, England, Scotland, bit of tension there, but I guess it came out okay, did it? It came out okay. Moral victory to Paul on that one. Okay. Good. Or you could just briefly share what the rest of your day looks like, what your plans for the rest of the day are. You can play this at home as well. Just take a moment till everyone's got what they need. For reference, if you're wondering what's going on, I think we have some ears of corn are going to be made. So we've got ribbons and we've got wool. And the idea is the children are going to plait and create ears of corn that way. So we'll see how we're getting on. Um, a little bit later on. So, 
So maybe we'll... <laughs> we just need to give it just a minute longer. I'm, I'm sorry for those waiting at home, tapping your toes a little bit, wondering what's going on. It's basically that I haven't been very organized this morning, but it's okay. Probably not quite time to make yourself a cup of tea, but you, you might be able to if, you, if, you, if your computer's portable or your phone. Perhaps a good moment to mention as well that we are um, very hopeful that we're in a position for our children's groups to resume next Sunday. So next Sunday should be the first Sunday back for children's groups to be happening. Um, a lot of work is going into that, um, preparing for that. We've got a great team of volunteers together. Um, and obviously, you can pray for us in that because actually getting stuff started again from scratch, which is really where we're at, is a lot more sort of complicated than just starting again after a brief pause. So there's a lot of extra work involved. Uh, John uh, in the office, Lizzie as well, and, and others are all pulling that together. We're really grateful for that, but we're very hopeful that the groups will be back next Sunday. In fact, the groups are back next Sunday. I should say that now. I think we're beyond that. Unless something dramatic happens in the next six days, groups return next Sunday. Wonderful. Why don't we pray? And then we'll uh, take a look at this passage. So, loving Father, thank you that you, uh, you speak to us through your word. You speak to us by your spirit. Holy Spirit, come now reveal to us Jesus. Come reveal to us uh, what you have to say to us today. Come reveal to us what it means to follow you, Jesus, more nearly, day by day. Amen. Amen. Well, um... One of the most talked about Christian books of the last year in the circles that I sort of find myself was called uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry uh, by John Mark Comer. Some of you may have come across this, but put your hand up if you have come across this book. And there's at least one person because I lent it to that person <laughs> a few weeks ago. Good. So a few of us. It's a, it's a great book based on a line spoken by the, the late, great Dallas Willard to, uh, to another church leader, John Ortberg, whose books are some really good books as well, about the path to spiritual maturity as a follower of Jesus. And his thesis was that the greatest threat to our relationship with God and, and our ability to live the way of Jesus in the world today is, is kind of not atheism or, or, or not believing in God, it's hurry. That hurry is the biggest thing that squeezes all of that. And Comer's take on this was that we'd reached a point in Western society when what one sociologist has called hurry sickness has reached epidemic proportions with worrying consequences. And uh, I remember reading this at the, the tail end of 2019, the start of 2020, I was having conversations with uh, a few of my friends. And we were, we were sort of like, this is a bit, bit of a wake-up call. Our society, we are rushing ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Something's got to give. And then 2020 happened. Uh, an unprecedented shutdown. It was like, you know, driving along 70 miles an hour and then, you know, doing an emergency stop. And when the squeal of tires died down and we'd recovered from the kind of the immediate whiplash, which took a while, there was this moment of realizing that everything was on pause. It's like that moment sort of astronauts reach zero gravity and there's this moment of just floating. And of course it wasn't by any means the end of busyness per se. Anyone, you know, homeschooling 
would, would say that, not to mention you know, a whole host of key workers. You know, perhaps would say that life was busier than ever. But there was no denying that a whole bunch of stuff that filled up our lives had stopped, was suspended. Now, since moving here, I've heard uh, two comments about the aeroplanes that fly over so regularly. One of them is, this is nothing. You wait until it's like one a minute again. That's, that's proper aeroplanes. And the other one is, you should have seen it in the first lockdown. The roads, the air, everything. It just stopped. This is a picture of um, Air Force One, actually, which flew over Isleworth last Sunday. Uh, boys were in the park. They spotted it. I'm, I, I, I got that picture because of a blue school assembly that I'm doing. So there you go. There's an aeroplane. <laughs> it's a picture of an aeroplane. Sorry, you can't see that at home, but it's just an aeroplane. Look out your window, you'll see one. Two pieces of research from that time, that initial phase of the lockdown, have really stayed with me. The first was that as church moved online, one in four adults in the UK had tuned into a live act of worship during uh, those first two months. One of the reasons that we continue to stream our services as, as much as we're able to. The second was that 85% of us said that there were changes that had been forced on us by the pandemic that they didn't want to lose once the lockdown lifted. A disruptor suffering on pain on a scale unimaginable at the the, the turn of 2020, and yet nearly 9 out of 10 of us felt able to identify some sort of positive aspect from it. So how do we make sense of that? What can we learn from looking at Jesus about living well in a world where being forced to stop turned out in some ways, despite the awfulness, to be a blessing? We're uh, two months now into a series uh, which we're nominally calling Restart, in which we are going through the early chapters of Mark's Gospel. And we're getting towards the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three this morning. And we're, what we're doing is really just getting a sense of who Jesus is, what his priorities are, um, and who we are and what our priorities should be in this new season as hopefully and gradually society reopens. That's what we're seeing. Time scale's a little uncertain. What are we here for in this time and place as followers of Jesus? What are we called to be? What are we called to do? And so far, we've been looking at some stuff around how Jesus identified himself, how he based his identity on the unconditional love of his father, not his abilities or possessions or popularity or anything else. And then we've been looking at the things that Jesus had started to do, healing the sick, driving out demons, setting people free from things that imprison them. And we looked at the kind of people that Jesus is drawn to rich and poor and men and women and united by this common theme of their brokenness and their need for Jesus. Uh, We looked at that last Sunday evening, Tim Plimming spoke brilliantly on that. And now we're coming into an interesting passage. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking this passage where we're seeing Mark pivot from Jesus's identity and ministry activity to what we could kind of categorize as lifestyle teaching because that's what this sabbath stuff is is really all about so having introduced that i just want to quickly look at the first part of this passage today and pose some takeaway questions for you to consider in the week before part two next sunday i hope that's okay 
Verses 23 to 28 of Mark chapter 2 tell a pretty straightforward story. It's the Sabbath, it's the Jewish day of rest, established right back in the creation story in Genesis 1. And Jesus and his friends are going for a walk. And as they go, they start snacking on some of the ears of corn in the fields. Um, how, are we, how are we getting? Are any of the kids making any ears of corn? Are there any, is there any weaving going on? Just hold up what you've done. Okay, I've seen some pipe cleaners. That's good. All right. Wonderful. Very good. Okay, keep going. Good job. The religious leaders accuse Jesus' followers of breaking the religious laws. And then Jesus uses the scriptures to counter their argument. And then he says two things. First, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then second, he says, the son of man, by which he means himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's the story. What's, so what's going on? The first point I think there is, is key. The point of the Sabbath, 24 hours with no work at all, was for the benefit of people. And not just people also, but actually, if you look at it, for the animals too, and for the land as well. In the uh, Ten Commandments, it reads a little bit like this. Um, remember the Sabbath day. This is Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. You know, don't work your animals seven days a week is there in the Ten Commandments. And, and bear in mind, the Sabbath is the only religious practice that actually makes it into the Ten Commandments, okay? Not praying, not reading scripture, not worshipping, not going to church. Once a week, everything stops. And it's actually, when you look back at it, this is actually the, 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 the moment that outright slavery ends every single person for the first time regardless of status or position is entitled to rest is commanded to rest and in Jesus's day for reasons that we will look at next week hopefully the Pharisees had taken this law which was designed to bless and they'd taken it to an extreme by which it was used to oppress that's what we see in this story now, I think it's fair to say that we don't live in a time when an, an enforced Sabbath or even a, a basic entry-level day off is, is a problem that is being used to oppress people. Um, you know, when was the last time your boss or your teacher or even your vicar threatened to dob you in for working on your day off? Actually, somebody threatened to dob me in for it the other day, um, which I didn't do. I held, I held it. I held my Sabbath. I thought, I'm preaching on this. I've really got to make sure I do this this week. <laughs> I always do. Perhaps we look at the story and we say, okay, this was a problem in that cultural moment, and maybe for the Victorians too, but lesson learned, we don't take the Sabbath too seriously these days. That's not our problem. We can move on. Which, of course, would be to miss the glaring reversal that has taken place in our culture today, because the tables have been completely flipped you know, in part by secularization, in part by the digital world, 24-7 communications, globalism. Jesus' words are every bit as countercultural 
today as they were then. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. For men and for women, for your sons and your daughters, your male and female employees, for your animals, for the land. You know, one of the main reasons given to Israel when they were um, booted out of the land and into exile was that they hadn't allowed the land to Sabbath, to rest as God had commanded. It was almost the imagery was that the land was kind of spitting them out for this. The rhythm of Sabbath was created as an essential part of, 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 of healthy living and holy living. And it isn't, um, you know, about heading back into religious browbeating about what we do or don't do on our Sunday uh, or our day off, whatever that is. But the thing is, is that we can never really truly cheat the system when it comes to sleep. You know, I think, you know, I've tried that. Many of us try that. Parents with young children know this. In the long run, we can't cheat our need for sleep. And in the same way, I think a Sabbath is essential for our body, for our mind, for our spirit in the long run. When I was thinking about this sermon, I came across a story on the BBC from about a month ago um, entitled Long Working Hours Killing 745,000 People a Year. And I'll just read out a few bits from it. That was the headline there. Long working hours are killing hundreds of thousands a year, according to the WHO. The first global study of its kind shows 745,000 people died in 2016 from stroke and heart disease due to long hours. The research found that working 55, or more, 55 hours or more a week was associated with a 35% higher risk of stroke and a 17% higher risk of dying from heart disease compared with a working week of 35 to 40 hours. Often, the deaths occurred later in life, decades later, than the hours worked. As Christians, extending our lives is not the ultimate goal we live by, right? And nor is death our ultimate enemy. Jesus put pay to that. But I think the point stands that those kind of stats don't speak for a life being lived fully to the glory of God and experiencing his fullness. And there's really so much more to say about this, but again, I just, you know, I want to just um, be kind to, I mean, the kids have just been, over these weeks, I just want to say again, kids, you've been amazing. It's been really hard sitting in here without your groups and sitting through it. So thank you so much. You've done amazing. And parents too, well done. There's so much more to say about it. But I think I want to, I'll finish today by returning to where we started, by considering this kind of massive disruptor that this pandemic has been to life. And those pieces of research that were conducted in, in that, that, that first, perhaps the most complete sense of the lockdown that we experienced. Because the truth is, while everything stopped initially, digital communications, working from home, very quickly began to spread the kind of tentacles of work and obligation and expectation over every part of our lives, perhaps even further than they ever had done before. Perhaps more than any year for a long time, our lives and our working practices have changed. And I think we need to stop and work out what being followers of Jesus says to that. Following Jesus has always come with a, a challenge to resist culture, 
And I think this may be a key aspect of that in the coming months. So we'll talk about that more a little bit next week. But here are a couple of questions for homework. I think we can have them up on the screen um, uh, if that's okay. Brilliant. Thank you, Hannah. And this is just about having time to reflect on the impact of changes to our work and rest in the past 12 months. So question number one is, what have you learned when you reflect about your practices of work and rest during this time of disruption? Are there lessons here that you might want to reflect on as you consider your priorities over the next uh, months and, and years, regardless of what happens next with this pandemic? So what have you learned as you look back at your practices of work and rest? Question two, what are the consequences or what are the consequences been of your current rhythms of work and rest? Well, just with your current rhythms of, of, of life, you know, I'm, I'm aware I don't want this to all be based on the idea of, um, you know, some of the people in this room who are doing a nine to five job and that's, that's you know, we all work in different ways. Some, some of our work we get paid for, some of our work we don't get paid for, but it's all work, okay? What sort of you is it producing, your current rhythms of work and rest? What is it doing to your relationship with God, uh, with one another, with yourself? And, you, know, you better believe this is a big question for me at the moment, you know, moving and stepping into a new role. This is stuff that I'm grappling with as well. So, so much more I want to say on this, um, and we'll say that, save that for next Sunday, but maybe we'll get those questions up onto uh, Facebook or, 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 or elsewhere so you can reflect on them. Have a think, have a pray. Um, if you can, have a conversation um, with someone this week, maybe even before you leave this morning as we're outside, or, or, or give someone a call that you know from within church. If you don't know anyone within this church, please get in touch with me. I'd love to meet you. But we better finish there. But why don't we stand and uh, we'll finish in prayer. And I'll invite John up. We're going to um, go from this into uh, worship as we prepare to have our time of communion. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I want to um, pray for revelation for us this morning. Lord, we all know that it has been um, such a disruptive year that so much has changed, that there have been pressures that we've not experienced before and maybe opportunities as well. And Lord, my prayer is that you would reveal to each of us in the coming days what the impact has been on us and our relationship with you, our relationship with others of the changes that have happened, particularly where it comes to work and rest. Would you reveal to us truth? Would you reveal to us um, in your love um, things that we need to see, maybe things that we've been blind to, or maybe even things that we are aware of that we need to address? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us guidance as we do that? Thank you that you are Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you that you established uh, rest as a principle for creation and for us. I pray that we would increasingly, each one of us, understand and recognize and appreciate and benefit from um, the, the goodness that you have created in the rhythms for us. Thank you that you love us and you want what is good for us. Amen. Amen.